Before Gavin comes to share what the Lord's led in his heart with us, let's commit him to the Lord in prayer and commit ourselves to the Lord in prayer that we may learn more from his word. Father in heaven, we do indeed thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that you never change. We thank you that you're the mighty creator who was there before time even existed. That you put the stars in their place. That you made this beautiful world. And even when we turned our back on you, you sent your own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us in our place. We thank you for that incredible love that you showed and that the Lord Jesus Christ showed. And Lord, we pray that you will help us as we look at another section from your word this afternoon to learn something from it. Help us to open our ears and concentrate as we look at your word to learn more about what you require of us and what we need to know of you. We pray for Gavin as he shares. Give him words from yourself. Fill him with the Holy Spirit. May you guide him, lead him, and direct him. And Lord, we just commit all the folks in the fellowship to you at this time, where they are at this time. We ask that you will bless them and be among us here, continuing to guide and lead. Give us the strength to humble ourselves before you and be obedient in the calling that you've given to us to be your children. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There we go. Stuart's beat me to the punch. Um, so thank you very much, everyone, for coming out. I had I was thinking there's going to be like a dozen people here um, this afternoon because everyone's away on holiday. But um, thank you very much for coming out. Um, before we get properly started uh, this afternoon, I wanted to quickly share with you a couple of things that um, I came across this week that might be of interest to you. They were certainly of interest to me. And um, this is not a reflection of how I normally spend my evenings, but I was I came across an online archive of um, the Believers Magazine, which is a periodical of, uh, of uh, Brethren Assemblies, um, and it's been going since uh, very early days in the kind of Brethren Church, and um, I, w I came across this archive of it online, and there were some of the, the very first editions of it ever from the 1890s, and I was, uh, I kind of was flicking through them and having a look at what I could find, and um, I came across a repeating section. It doesn't seem to have lasted very long, just for the kind of first 10 years of it, um, but they had this section that was called um, Tidings of the Lord's Work and Workers, and so I found a couple of snippets that I'll quickly share. This is like nothing to do with what I've got to say, but I just wanted to show you. Um, so I came across um, a couple of things, um, but there's all these wee references to, um, I suppose, things happening in our towns. And so I, I found, this is one of the earliest ones, there's a note here, Darvel, William Murray of Glasgow had a few meetings in this hard little place, open air and inside. There was little encouragement. So that's, that's, the, first, that's the first encounter that... 
um, we read of about our, about the urban well about Darville and New Mills uh, within this magazine. Um, there was another one, New Mills, but there's a difference. This is a couple of years later. Notice what it says here. There's been quite a little stir here. And a, good, a goodly number saved. John Ferguson had gospel meetings for several weeks and the work still goes on. A good hall has been secured by the believers meeting in the Lord's name, which they enter in May. And then later on, another update from New Mills. Considerable interest still continues here. Large Sunday evening meetings and conversions. Young men from Kilmarnock are now helping carry on the work. And then again... New Mills, large meetings and conversions and Sundays conducted by young men from... Oh, that's, I think that was the same one. Um, I noticed this year, John Ferguson intends operating a tent in Darwin, the Pioneer Bible Carriage, which I think must be a Victorian equivalent of the Bible bus, right? <laughs> but the Pioneer Bible Carriage is being wrought among Ayrshire villages on Saturdays. And then New Mills, the Drygate Street Hall is now occupied by the believers gathered in the Lord's name here. There was a conference there on the 30th of May. A, t- a tent has been pitched in Darville, two, mil- two miles east, operated by John Ferguson. Play- pray for these hard places, yeah. So that was the one thing I noticed. Like, there- there's reports from all over the country. I only ever found this phrase about New Mills and Darville, about hard places, <laughs> right? But look at this. New Mills, a tent moved from Darville here. A good deal of opposition manifest, Yeah. And then here, Darville meetings in the Lord's Day in Temperance Hall have continued. I didn't know there was, a, there was ever kind of a gathering in Darville, but there you go. Um, uh, have continued to increase in numbers and interest, and many seem aroused. And then uh, Darville, in connection with special efforts here at New Mills, a conference was held at Brown's Institute, which is just across there on Saturday, the 12th of March. Uh, addresses by Ale- uh, Alexander Stewart, P. Hind, and John Ritchie from Ritchie's in Kilmarnock, yeah. Um, and then Darwin, uh, the Lord continues to work here. A number of young men have been converted. Meetings are continued in the Lord's days by John and James Ritchie again and Tom Sinclair. Um, I find this, this is nothing to do with me. Uh, Darwin, this was another section just from the, the work across the world and reports that were coming in. This one was interesting. I can see they're talking about work in Jamaica and uh, Iceland. And uh, there's also a bit here around about, look, um, convicts and lepers on Robin Island. Robin Island of Nelson Mandela fame. That's where, that's where Nelson Mandela was um, uh, uh, incarcerated. Um, look at this one here. Kilmarnock Hall overfilled. Some unable to get in. Smaller gatherings at Lark Hall, Muirkirk, Delray, Les Mahago, New Mills. All are reported good. Listen to this. The best test of all will be the abiding results in godly life, unworldly walk, and devoted service for God. Um, then there was just, this is the last one that there was, meetings in Fraser School on Sunday nights continue. The lace worker strike in uh, New Mills, which was in 1897, has been a testing time to believers there, and many have gone to seek work in, others pla- in other places. There was a big industrial dispute with the lace workers in 1897. In fact, I, was, I found out that Keir Hardy, the l- leading light in Scottish labour, Keir Hardy represented the lace workers in New Mills when they had that industrial dispute with the mill owners, and... Uh, but as you can see, it impacted the town and it impacted, our, impacted the fellowship that was meeting in Drygate Street at the time. And many Christians at that time had to leave um, New Mills because, um, because they had no work and they were destitute. But there we go. Um, that was, as I say, nothing to do with what we're going to talk about. But I came across it and I was, uh, I was interested in it. Um, uh, but um, what, I did, uh, what, I to, um, uh, what I did want to talk about um, this afternoon is something that's been on my mind, I suppose, over this week. 
um, following uh, something that Jamie said at the Breaking of Bread um, on, uh, on Sunday. Finding love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And following what Jamie had said, I've been kind of thinking about um, those, those verses and what Jamie had said about them uh, throughout the week, and um, I suppose that's, that's what's led to uh, what I want to talk to you about this afternoon. And at the time I was struck... Um, I was struck by that passage that we read, but I was also struck by the request that Moses makes just ahead of that proclamation. Uh, let's read uh, quickly in Exodus 33 from verse 12. Um, from verse 12. And Stuart, if you can push it up, that would be good. Um, it says there, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And during the account of the Exodus, and what I want to look at this afternoon is we have a number of instances, this being the the latest and almost culmination of those instances where God reveals his nature to his people. He reveals more of his character, both both through the way that he acts and also in a few passages in the way he describes himself. And we read of Moses' deepening encounter with God through, we read of Moses' deepening encounter with uh, God throughout Exodus. We're familiar with um, his encounter with God in the burning bush. And there we read, It says there in Exodus 3, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. 
Moses saw that, through, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that, the, uh, that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And Moses' initial encounter with God is in this terrifying and unsettling and awesome encounter with a God that he does at this point not really know personally. He encounters God in this supernatural encounter and God reveals himself to Moses initially as the God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses' reaction to this experience is one of terror, is one of fear. He was afraid. He was afraid to look at God. And this reaction of fear and awe was familiar in the experience of the earlier generations in their encounters their encounters with God. If we consider the earlier encounter, encounter of Jacob, as his name is changed to Israel, we read in Genesis 32, he says, um, Jacob replied, as he wrestles with God, he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, you, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And Jacob, as he wrestles with God to be blessed, as he's given this new name, Israel, he makes the request to he makes a similar request to Moses. He makes a similar request to Moses. He wants to know more of God, to know God's name. In Jacob's encounter with God, God will not reveal his name to Jacob. And Jacob is left only knowing that he has encountered the mighty God and been spared. In fact, he lives the rest of his life wounded from that encounter. His hip is, um, is wrenched from its socket, and that's something that he, he carries with him throughout his days. But during Moses' terrifying encounter with God, as God sends Moses to confront Pharaoh on behalf of his people, Moses is given an amazing revelation of God's character. Um, later on in, verse, in chapter 3, we read there that Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. In this revelation of the name of the Lord, Yahweh, which is translated into our Bibles as the Lord, as I am who I am, is familiar to us, but it was an incredible deepening of God's revelation to man of who God is. 
And the context of this new revelation of who God is was in response to his people's suffering. In the chapter previous, we read in Exodus chapter 2, that during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and they cried for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. And so God looked in the Israelites and was concerned about them. And it's that concern that leads then to this encounter with Moses. And in this, out of this concern comes this revelation of who he is. And God, although he refuses to disclose his name to Jacob, when he, when he comes to Moses, he volunteers this name. He gives them this name. And as the story of Exodus continues, we see Moses continuing to deepen his understanding of who God is. When God commands Moses to go to Pharaoh and ask him to let his pe- uh, the people of Israel go, and as Pharaoh rejects this request and starts to make life harder for the Israelites, we read Moses' prayer to the Lord in Exodus chapter 5. And there Moses says, this is what he says, he says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. What words, what words to speak to God. But the Lord's reaction to Moses' complaint, Moses' complaint that instead of rescuing his people, Moses' delivery, faithful delivery of the word of the Lord has only led to harshening conditions for his people. God's reaction to this complaint as Moses brings it before him is another amazing deepening relation, a revelation of who the Lord is. When you look at Exodus 6, it says, verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand. He will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. And the Lord says that he will reveal who he is through th- these two things, through mighty action against Pharaoh. But additionally, note that verses 2 to 5 include this detail of this deliberately deepening relationship and re- revelation of who the Lord is. And I was struck by these verses. I'm sure I've read them many, many times before, but I thought it, was, it just struck me afresh that the Lord says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew the Lord God, that knew the Lord as God Almighty. That was Abraham, Isaac's, and Jacob's relationship with, um, with the Lord. It was as El Shaddai, as the Lord, as God Almighty. And we were thinking about that when I spoke a few weeks ago, about the fact that our God is the God of all power, is the God of all might, that all energy and force within his creation stems from him and is, up, 
and everything is upheld by his power, that there is no power in creation or in the universe that is external from him or beyond him or independent of him. But when God reveals himself as El Shaddai, he says, I am the God of all power. I am the almighty God. All strength, all power is in him. And this was the nature of God. This was the nature of God that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had revealed to them. El Shaddai, God Almighty. But in this verse, the Lord points out, to, uh, points out that he never made himself fully known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew him as El Shaddai. But they did not know him as the I Am, as Yahweh. as the I am, as the all-sufficient one, the source of all being. And I don't think it's by accident that this deepening revelation of the Lord's character is associated with the deepening suffering of his people. As Pharaoh makes their life harder and harder and harder as a result of the faithful proclamation of his word, the Lord says that he will reveal himself by his action, that he is the deliverer and rescuer of his people. And as the story of the Exodus continues, we come across another revelation of God's character in Exodus chapter 15. And as the people, as the people have just been rescued by God by crossing the Red Sea, and as they venture out into the desert, they come, they're immediately struck, um, uh, encounter a problem in that they begin to die of thirst. They cannot find water anywhere in this desert. And we read there in uh, chapter 15, verse 22, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. And for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. And so the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them, and put them to the test, and he said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands, and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. And it says, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. And the people's faith begins to falter as their hopes fail when they encounter bitter water after traveling days and days through the desert. And it's in that context that the Lord reveals himself as the Lord who heals you. The one who takes bitterness and makes it into sweetness. And immediately, and immediately, and I think this is lovely, following this description, the Lord leads them to this oasis of Elam, and we've got associations with the church in Kilmarnock, and I always think of them when I see this, but he leads them to this oasis in the desert, a place where they can rest and camp and benefit and enjoy the Lord's provision. And this revelation of God's nature is a Lord who heals us, is followed then in Exodus chapter 24 by a further revelation of who God is. In the vision 
of God that is afforded Moses, Aaron, and the elders of Israel. And we, we read there that Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. In fact, I was thinking this morning as we were, um, as we were um, singing um, Emerald Courts and Sapphire Skies, the I think the King James version talks about it is instead of lapis lazuli, it talks about sapphire. Is um, uh, under his feet was something like sapphire, a pavement made of sapphire. And as the Lord meets with his people there on Mount Sinai to enter into this covenant with them, the leaders of the people are are granted this vision of the Lord where they see an aspect of who He is. But and what I, what struck me about this passage was. When they come to recount what they see, words absolutely fail them. They only, see, they only see glimpses. Their eyes and their minds seem unable to really comprehend what they have seen. And all that they have, all that they can really convey to those who ask them, what did you see? Is they, they talk about the Lord's feet and what the Lord's feet rests upon. That's, that's as much as their minds can comprehend almost. And finally, we come to this passage that we began this afternoon reading from. Moses' encounter with the Lord following Israel's turning away almost immediately and as this covenant is entered into with Israel. At the first opportunity, Israel turns away and follows the golden, the golden calf. And that leads to Moses. This, this amazing passage where Moses destroys the tablets of stone. The tablets that the Bible describes as the work of God is engraved by God's finger. And Moses, when he is confronted with how quickly the people of Israel have fallen away, this people that he's been asked to lead, Moses destroys these tablets. And the Lord, in response to Israel turning away, says this. He says, leave this place you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you're a stiff-necked people, and I may destroy you in the way. And as Moses is confronted with this situation that God describes as going to be the consequence for Israel's apostasy, well, we read that Moses, Moses pleads with God. And he pleads with God saying this. He says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. But look at what the Lord has just promised to Moses. The Lord has promised to Moses that he will fulfill his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob through his mighty power. God, in spite of Israel's unfaithfulness, will demonstrate his faithfulness to his promises by bringing Israel into the promised land of blessing. But what struck me was that Moses pleads with God. Moses pleads with God 
not to send them into this land of blessing unless God is with them. He intercedes on Israel's behalf, asking them that if the Lord, if the Lord will not go with them, that he would rather stay in the wilderness with him than go into the land of blessing without him. Isn't that amazing? And it's in this context that we come back to where I started, because it's in this context, it's in this context that the Lord declares his favor, his favor on Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. And Moses makes this, and he makes this amazing request. And the Lord, then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And the Lord assents to Moses' request to enter into this most this deepest knowledge of who the Lord is within the constraints, but the Lord, the Lord assents to it within the constraints of Moses' human frame. The Lord affirms his mercy and his compassion to Moses, but even with those things, the fact remains that an unveiled sight of the glory of the Lord would destroy Moses. In fact, we read, through the, we, read through the, we read through the Bible and the visions in the Old Testament that even the angels who serve in the presence of God, they cover their eyes as they minister before the throne. Those spiritual beings that are so much more powerful than us, even they cannot stand to look upon the glory of God with unfailing faces. And so the Lord points to the position within which Moses can have this encounter with him. And he points to the cleft in the rock that Moses can be hidden within. And within this place of safety, Moses can experience the closest of encounters with the Lord, the God Almighty. And this passage always makes me think of that hymn that we sang um, just before we started there, because that's what that hymn's in response to this passage. Rock of Ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And the hymn writer in that hymn draws this amazing parallel between Moses' experience in the cleft of the rock and our experience as believers in the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, like this rock, was broken for us. And Paul says in Colossians 3, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And it is from within this cleft in the rock that Moses has his deepest experience of the Lord's glory. As the Lord passes by, he declares himself to be the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger 
abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And it's in this context, you know, remember, this is the context of Israel's almost instantaneous falling away from God. As they, as they affirm in one breath the covenant with the Lord and they say, we will do everything that you've said us to do. And then, and then days, hours later, they are raising up a new idol to worship and turning their back on the Lord. It's in that context. Isn't that amazing? It's in that context that the Lord reveals himself to be the compassionate and merciful God, the gracious one, the patient one, the loving one, the faithful one, the forgiving one, but also also the just one. That's the bit we always kind of, I think we always focus on the first half of God's statement and don't think about the fact that God calls out his unswerving justice and how the Lord will deal with injustice and iniquity. This is the God that we worship. He is, at the same time, the compassionate and loving God. He never, ever, ever lets his standards of justice slip one moment. He is always the all-just one. Every action that he does and every action that he, uh, every way that he deals with us is on the basis of perfect justice. But it is also always, always, always on the basis of perfect love. On the basis of perfect mercy. On the basis of perfect grace. He does not become more loving and more gracious some days and less just on other days. That's not how our God is. Our God is unchanging and he is perfect. All these things are perfect. All these attributes are perfect always. How is it that we can approach this God? How is it we can approach this God? How is it that we can stand before the presence of the Lord, knowing that he is, he sees all our sins before him? There is no hiding that he has pronounced his judgment But the judgment, how do we stand against the judgment? We stand against the judgment because God places us within the cleft of the rock. In the cleft of the rock, he places us in the Lord Jesus and covers us with his hand. And that's where, in that place of amazing safety, that we have that encounter with the Lord. You know, the Exodus describes the Lord's deliverance of his people from slavery. And we've thought often of those amazing parallels between Israel's deliverance from slavery and our own experience as believers. And I've, I've found it a real encouragement as I've read through these passages, just in, in response to that word that Jamie gave on Sunday. I found it a real encouragement as I've thought through these things to consider Moses and Israel's 
deepening experience and understanding of who the Lord is through his own revelation of his nature and through his own words and actions. As believers, you know, it, struck, it did strike me, and as I say, I don't know how I managed to miss it, but it did, it did strike me afresh or maybe anew for, uh, as I was reading this thing, that incredible thought that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those amazing patriarchs of God, they knew God. But their knowledge of God was not as Moses' knowledge of God was. They knew El Shaddai. They knew Lord Almighty. Moses, Moses knew the Lord as the I Am, as Yahweh, as the compassionate God, as the loving God, as the faithful God. And yet our revelation of God exceeds even that of Moses in that the Lord has revealed himself in the person of our Lord Jesus. Even more perfect in, this, in the revelation than those encounters that Moses had. And that is, the, that is the relationship that the Lord asks us isn't it, to enter into. Into a perfect understanding of the Lord. And it was a challenge to me and an encouragement to, to me. As a believer, am I deepening in my understanding of who the Lord is because the Lord has provided for me this place of safety that I can encounter him in he desires to bring me close to him he desires me to have this knowledge and understanding of who he is and he has dealt with all the things that would prevent me from having that he has made a way through the Lord Jesus for me to come into that understanding and I suppose that's, the, that's the, the challenge and the encouragement that I'd leave with you this afternoon. That as believers, let's keep on seeking to deepen that relationship with our Lord. To understand more and more of who he is. To look upon him as he's revealed in his word and through our Lord Jesus. Let's give thanks to the Lord for his perfect rev revelation of who he is. In the person of the Lord Jesus, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that even though you are, and we were thinking about this this morning, you are the one who is high and lifted up, who is above all others. Lord, we, we acknowledge that there's no way for us to climb up to you. There's no way for us to approach you in our own strength, but instead you are the God who has drawn near to us. Lord, we understand that our minds are too small and our vocabulary too limited and our senses too constrained to be able to come to you and appreciate who you are, but we acknowledge and we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you, Father God, that you have drawn near to us. You have revealed yourself in ways that are glorious, in ways that we could not have dared to hope for. You have revealed your character to be the loving one and the faithful one, the compassionate one and the patient one. Lord, we want to thank you that you have revealed these things to the prophets through the, the law and through Moses. 
But we thank you that you have more perfectly revealed yourself in the person of our Lord Jesus, in whose name we draw near to you this afternoon. We thank you that we were thinking of that, the power of his name. And Father God, we pray in his name that you would allow us to understand more of who you are. We thank you that you have allowed us to draw near to you in him. And in fact, when we are in him, when we are joined to him, we are, we are in you, Father God. That's an amazing thought. We pray that you would open our minds to see this wonderful position that you brought us into. I pray that it would be an encouragement to each one here. That you have drawn near to us. That you have made a way for us to draw close to you in the person of our Lord Jesus. Let us not be content with our understanding of who you are as it is at the moment, Father God. But help us to, by the power of your spirit, to seek your face within the words of scripture, within prayer. Lord, we pray that as we approach you, Lord, you would reveal yourself to us through the person of our Lord Jesus. Lord, bless us and we pray that you would bless your word now as we dwell upon it and think upon it. Bless us now as we go from here and bless the food that we're about to have as we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.